John chapter 19, and I want to read to you from verse 25. The scripture says this, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, that's so important, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, the disciples standing by whom he loved, that's an important piece of information. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. John chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher. Seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. There it is again. Just Could you say that with me? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Yeah, that's such an important piece of information. And saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. We know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, you know, the, the one that Jesus loves, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher, to the tomb. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, went into the sepulcher, seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself, then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and he believed. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many believers do we have in the house of God today? Thank you, Jesus. And if you're not a believer today, I, I, my hope and prayer is that by the time the Spirit of the Lord moves on your heart and His Word makes plain His truth, that you will be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. First John chapter 4, verse 19, one verse of Scripture, and it just simply says this, We love Him because He first loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. Could we lift up our voices together unto the Lord and ask His blessing upon the preaching of the Word of God today. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace to us. We thank You for this gathering of Your people. We pray today that as Your Word goes forth, it will find good ground. We pray that as the Word goes forth, it will take up residence in hungry, humble hearts. Lord, that we may know You, that we may draw near to You, Lord, I give you praise and I worship your name. I ask for an anointing upon the preacher and the preaching today in Jesus' name that all of us may hear your word and apply it to our lives. In the precious and the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. I'm speaking to you today on the subject, the revelation of John. The revelation of John. And I know that when we speak of the revelation of John, that this 
brings to mind some notions and ideas as to what may be uh, spoken about. Especially today, in this day and in this hour, we know that John wrote the book of Revelation. And that book of Revelation, you know, is a very unique book. And it is filled with symbolism that helps us to understand the culmination of all things that lead ultimately to the day of the Lord. And I'm glad to know Jesus is coming soon. Praise God. I'm glad to know he's coming soon. I remember that my mother used to play cassette tapes in our, in our uh, home that, that had the word of God just continually being read aloud. And anybody remember what a cassette tape is? I know I'm speaking of ancient antiquity here, but cassette tapes, she, she would play these cassette tapes, and it was the audio version of the Bible, and they would just be read aloud in our home. And, and while we would even sleep at night, we would go to sleep to the Scriptures. And my, my mother would play these tapes, and my, my brother began to uh, play them on his own as he became a little older, and... He, one day he came running into the room and was by mom and near her and didn't want to leave her side. And she didn't understand what was happening, but she quickly learned he had, he had found the book of Revelation on the cassette tape and plugged that in. And, and uh, I don't know, I think when they started talking about beasts coming up out of the water with ten heads and horns and, and uh, it, it just kind of alarmed him a little bit. It's a book of symbols and metaphors that describe kingdoms and kings and times and seasons and conquests. And, and it is a very unique book. And it was written by John. And John, writing this book, it's important to understand that while doing so, he was in exile on the Isle of Patmos. He was alone on this island. And, and he was just... Wondering what God's plan for his life was. Anybody ever been in a situation like that before? Where you don't know what, what is God doing here? What, what does God have in mind for, for my life? I've, I'm on this island. Things have changed dramatically. And, and so he's on this Isle of Patmos. And, and he begins to receive understanding of things to come. In the middle of his turmoil, in the middle of his loneliness... He hears a voice. The Bible says it's like the sound of many waters. And the voice says, I am Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the ending. I am the first and the last. I am he which was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And those are red letters, ladies and gentlemen. We know who's doing the talking there. And, and he is saying, I am he which was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And and he proceeds to give John one of the most precious gifts. He gives to him the gift of revelation concerning things that will unfold down the road and will come to pass hereafter. And John writes these things down. And there were some things that were even in the revelation that God said you're not allowed to write this down because there were certain blasphemies spoken that, that didn't even deserve to be given air to. And John was, was privy to all of this. He got to see up close what 
Jacob saw from the vantage point of the lower part of the ladder. And he saw Jacob did the top of the ladder where the glory of God was. Isaiah apparently was able to climb up a little bit on the ladder. And he saw it a little more clearly than Jacob. Ezekiel saw it even more clearly than Isaiah. But when John saw it, it was so pristine. It was so precise. It was so transparent. Everywhere he looked, he saw that great city. And the angel of the Lord said, come and I'll show you the lamb's wife. And he showed him a great city, the new Jerusalem with 12 foundations and 12 gates. What a revelation that John had received. But, but that revelation, I contend, was made possible by the foundational, formational revelation that John had already received. I don't believe John would have been in a position on that lonely isle of exile had he not already had such a firm understanding about God and his love for mankind. I'll go ahead and tell you that the revelation of John that I'm preaching about, it doesn't have to do with beasts coming up out of the water. It doesn't have to do with, with four horsemen coming up out of the river Euphrates. It doesn't come, have to do with, with spirits coming out of the dragon's mouth. It, it has to do with the love of God. That's the revelation of John that I'm going to be preaching to you about today. Now John needed to see all of these other enlightenments and understandings but but he wouldn't have been in a position to do it had he not understood heretofore the love of almighty God had he just been deposited onto that isle of Patmos with no pretext with no context with no understanding to that point of how God operates and who God is it may very well have been a likely story he may have handled the Isle of Exile similarly to the way we handle positions of life where we feel alone. He may have crawled up into a corner and just simply wished it away. But, but no, he understood something that, that prepared him for this moment. He was able to plant his feet firmly upon the Word of God, upon the love of God and say, if I'm here, I'm here for a purpose. If I'm here, I'm here for a reason. Because I know one thing I do know. There's a lot I don't know. But one thing I do know is that the Lord loves me. Hallelujah. And me being on an island alone doesn't mean he doesn't love me. And me being in a position of feeling rejection doesn't mean he doesn't love me. And me being in a position of feeling abandoned and alone and forgotten and forsaken. None of that means that God does not love me. I know one thing for sure. I know he loves me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I may not know much about biology. I may not know much about science books or the French I took. But one thing I do know. I know that I know that I know he loves me. I can hear the apostle Paul say nothing shall separate me. 
death can't do it, and life can't do it, and angels can't do it, and principalities can't do it, and, and, and powers can't do it, and things present and things to come. No height, no depth, no creature can separate me from the love of Christ. I'm persuaded that nothing shall be able. Ah, Oh, God, through the preaching of your word, persuade our hearts again that we are loved by you. Lord, curse every lie of the adversary. Rebuke every lie of the devourer. And let us stand strong in the confidence that Jesus loves me. Hallelujah. This is what we must know. This is what we have to know. We've got to know this in order to work in the kingdom of God. We have to know this in order to do a work for the Lord. This this is why right now in our children's ministry classes, teachers are teaching them songs like, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Hallelujah. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes. Jesus loves me. You want to know why we're teaching it to them now? Because we want them to know when they're sitting in a hospital waiting room. Yes! Jesus loves me. We want them to know when they're contemplating suicide. Yes! Jesus loves me. We want them to know when demons are taunting them and the past mistakes are haunting them. We want them to remember. Yes! Jesus loves me. revelation you have to receive it you have to receive this revelation John had this revelation John understood this stuff he explained it in fact it was it was John's gospel accounting that that rendered to us the understanding for God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It was John's gospel rendering that helped us to understand greater love hath no man than this. That a man laid down his life for his friends. You know what I think is awesome about that is that when we're talking about Jesus, we're not just talking about an ordinary man. We're talking about God manifest in the flesh. We're talking about the God man Jesus. Jesus Christ, and then he had a greater love than the greatest love man can attain, which is to lay down his life for his friends, because he didn't just lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for whosoever will let them come and drink of the waters of life freely. He laid down his life for his friends, for his enemies, for blasphemers. He laid down his life for all. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And John recorded it. John is the one who recorded these words. Are you ready for this? A new commandment I give unto you. A new commandment give I unto you. Hallelujah. That you love one another as I have loved you. I'm going to tell you, that's a game changer right there, ladies and gentlemen. It, it, It takes the onus of love off of us and it puts it squarely on the shoulders of Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, as our example of how to show love. John recorded those words. John understood love. John spoke of love in such a powerful and profound way. In his epistles he wrote concerning the love of God. And, and this is what he said. He, he, he coined a term that was so unique. He, he called it perfect love. 
that's different than the kind of love you and I are used to. See, Paul spoke about agape love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and you use that as your guidepost for what love is, you and I realize how dramatically low we fall short of ever attaining and being and exhibiting that kind of love. A kind of love that is not envious. The kind of love that, that is not does not vaunt itself, does not promote itself, the kind of love that is not easily offended, the kind of love that is that, that hopes all things and believes in spite of all things, that, that bears all things, that rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. That's not human love. That's perfect love. And John understood perfect love. John spoke of perfect love and said that perfect love casts out fear. He said there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. That's strong language. The perfect love of God casts out fear. In other words, the perfect love of God does not walk up to fear and politely request that it remove itself. No, no, the perfect love of God grabs fear by the collar and by the belt and throws fear out of your life. Kicks down the door, says get out and don't ever come back. Perfect love casts out fear. John said this, he said this, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. This is what John said concerning the love of God. He said this, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. Verse number 16, he said, We have known and believed the love that God had to us. And then finally, he just didn't know how else to say it. He said, I, you know, I've tried to tell you about love for one another. I've tried to tell you about Christ's love for us. I've tried to tell you about how perfect love casts out fear. Finally, he said, let me just summarize it for you. God is love. God is love. And, 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 and now many people love to take this passage of Scripture, these references to the love of God, and they love to put their little twist on them. And they, they love to make the love of God something that it is not. And let me tell you something. Sometimes Christians get nervous when they hear preaching about the love of God because they think somebody's going to get up and say that because God loves us that God is okay with people committing sin. No, no. You, that's because you don't have the revelation that John had. When you have the revelation that John had, you know that the love of God is not permission to sin. The love of God is salvation from sin. Let me tell you something. God hates sin. He hates sin. And, and, and God doesn't hate sin because he's a hater. God hates sin because sin separates us from him. 
And so God is intent on destroying the works of sin so that he can have relationship with us. In other words, God hates sin because he loves us. And he wants to have communion with his people. But the love of God is not something that the world can understand, that the world can define. It is beyond our ability to love. It is beyond our ability to understand. John understood the love of God. And the reason that John understood the love of God is because he had a particular perspective that really none of the other disciples had at the first. He was the disciple who stood by the cross of Jesus Christ. While Peter was denying him, John was standing at the foot of the cross. While Thomas was doubting him, John was standing by the foot of the cross. While the disciples were scattering, John was standing by the foot of the cross. Hallelujah. While others were running and hiding and changing their name and getting new passports and trying to find some asylum somewhere, John was standing by the foot of the cross. And and, and while that sounds noble, that's not the greatest benefit he received. The greatest benefit he received was that he was able to gaze upon the moment when God Almighty, manifest in human flesh, confirmed the old covenant and opened a new covenant he was able to see the moment when the Lord laid on the man Christ Jesus the iniquity of us all he was able to see the moment where every murderer's murder was placed on Jesus Christ every liar's lie every fornicator's fornication every every robber's theft every hater's hate every malicious person's malice was laid upon the Lamb of God and those sins and those iniquities and those transgressions were nailed to an old rugged cross and he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us Sins that had been committed were nailed to that cross. Sins that were going to be committed were nailed to that cross. Every transgression before or after was nailed to that cross. None could take it to the cross except he who had lived a life of perfection. He who was tempted in all points, even as we are tempted, yet without sin. He was numbered with the transgressors, but he himself was not a transgressor. Oh, he was wounded, but it was for our transgressions, not his. Yes, he was bruised, but it was for our iniquities, not his. Yes, he was chastised, but it was the chastisement of our peace, not his. Oh, he was whipped with stripes on his back, but it wasn't for his healing. It was for our healing. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah, yeah, John saw it all. He heard it all. He felt it all. He winced. He saw the blood splatter. He saw the spit fly. He saw the sweat roll down his face. He saw his body writhe in pain. He heard him say, I thirst. He heard him say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What didn't they know they were doing? What didn't they know? They knew they were putting a crown of thorns on his head. What didn't they know? They knew they were putting a spear in his side. What didn't they know? They knew they were putting stripes on his back. What didn't they know? Because he said they didn't know. He said, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. What didn't they know? I tell you, the Bible tells us what they didn't know. They knew not that they were crucifying the Lord of glory. That's what they didn't know. Can I tell you that the people who offended you, the reason you must forgive them is that they know not what they do. They know not that when they do it to the least of these, they have done it unto the Lord of glory. You said, well, they shouldn't have done it to me. Are you kidding? Do you know how unworthy we are of any grace, of any mercy? Do you know how unworthy we are of any forgiveness, of any redemption? I deserve everything that comes my way in terms of falling and pitfalls and brokenness. The miracle is that God, who is rich in mercy, has loved me with a love I'm not worthy of. That's the miracle. That's what ought to surprise us. Not that we have fiery trials. That's to be expected. We're in a fallen world. We're in a fallen body. This is brokenness. This is, this is everything's messed up. That's, that's what life really is. But, but all of a sudden, through the clouds, comes a ray of sunshine. Hallelujah. All of a sudden comes this forgiveness I'm not worthy of. And John was watching this all unfold. He saw them, saw them give him hyssop instead of water. He, they saw him, they saw him, he saw Jesus suffer upon the cross to a degree that no man had ever suffered. And he knew his innocence. He knew that he was not guilty of what they had accused him of. He knew that this was the Lord in human flesh. He understood the injustice of it all. And in awe, he watched as Jesus forgave every last offense, every wound, every bruise. Jesus forgave it one by one. I'm not going to hold it against them for saying that or doing that. I forgive them. John knew he could come down from that cross. I imagine if, if I could be in John's head for just a moment that he probably thought to himself, Come on, Jesus, do it. Do it. Show him who's king. Show him who's king. He saw that little, that little snarky plaque, the king of the Jews, above his head. And John's just waiting for his glorious king to, to lift that hand off of that cross and smack somebody. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice? 
But Jesus didn't do it. Jesus accepted the suffering. He accepted the bruising. He accepted the wounds. He accepted the offense. He accepted all of it. Peter tried to tell him one day, I'll never let this happen to you. Nobody's going to touch you. They'll have to go through me to get to you. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You have no idea what you're talking about. And you don't understand the things of God. They're going to bruise me and beat me and wound me and chastise me. And when it's all said and done, I'm going to love them anyway. And they're going to look on him whom they have pierced and say, truly, this was the Son of God. No man loves like this man loved. No man is merciful the way this man is merciful. Hallelujah. And John is standing there watching all of it unfold before his eyes. He sees every final word spoken. Jesus cries with a loud voice into thy hands. I commend my spirit. It is finished. And he gives up the ghost. And John is watching all of this unfold. And all of a sudden it dawns on him. Like, like an epiphany. It, it, just, it just reverberates in his heart and mind. And he realizes, wait. He loves me. See, he, he wasn't just saying it. He meant it. He really does love me. After all the bruising and the wounding, he's going to forgive. After all the mockery and the scoffing, he's going to show mercy. After all the atrocity that he experienced on this cross, John realized in that one moment, Jesus loves me. And it got a hold of him. He couldn't stop talking about it. He couldn't stop writing about it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Hallelujah. And his commandments are not grievous. Herein is love. Not that we love God but that God loves us. I mean, he was lighting that parchment on fire right now to as many as will hear him. Listen, we love him because he first loved us. It gripped him. Oh, that it would grip us. Oh, that it would grip us. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus was asked the question, what is the great commandment? And I'm sure they expected him to kind of come down to their level and debate this question. What is the great commandment? Jesus hears their question and they probably expected him to say, well, that's a really, you know, that's a really good question. I haven't given that much thought. I guess if I had to pick one, hmm, I'll tell you what. Let me get back with you on that. Because thou shalt not kill. You know, that's a good one. Probably don't need to kill folks. Thou shalt not steal. Not too bad either. Don't need to take stuff that doesn't belong to you. Huh. Man, I don't know. 
Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's not good. Don't want to do that. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't want to do that. But that's not what Jesus said. See, Jesus wrote the law. Jesus was the law. He is the word manifest in the flesh. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the law. He is thou shalt not kill in human flesh. He is thou shalt not steal in human flesh. He is thou shalt not commit adultery in human flesh. If if thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, had arms and legs, it'd be Jesus. He was the law personified literally. And, And Jesus says to them without batting an eye or hesitating, here's the great commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and him only shall you serve. Hear this. Here it is. Are you ready? Are you ready? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That's the great commandment. That's it. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, all thy mind and all thy strength. Yeah, that's what you've got to do. And so we tell people, love God. Love God. Go ahead. Love Him. Love God. You should love God. Listen, you can't just flip a switch and love God. This is a process. And it comes through revelation. Loving God is not where a walk with God begins. It's where the walk with God takes us. Hallelujah. If you want to go where the walk with God begins, then you've got to follow the process. Jesus is explaining perfect love when he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. That is the perfected love of God. He said, now you didn't ask about this commandment, but I'm going to talk about the second commandment, which is like unto the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. (laughs) Now we're getting somewhere. Because I know we all, if if I said it, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. But if I said how many here love God, I know every one of our hands and feet would be raised in the air. Just to prove how much we love God. And, and a lot of us would be lying. What we're really trying to say is that we want to love God. But, but do we love God is a totally different situation. Only God knows whether we really love Him. It is God who tries the hearts. It is God who knows the invisible parts of us. Do we really love God? Here's what John said. If you say you love God but you don't love your brother, you're a liar. So you have to, now, now, now we're starting to understand, do I really love God? If I don't love my brother, guess what? You don't love God. If you don't love your sister, you do not love God. And John just nails us to the wall. He doesn't let us move. He doesn't let us squirm away from this conversation. He said, and I'm not talking about love in word or in tongue. I'm talking about word, love in deed and in truth say oh I love them but if you don't act like it you don't and you don't love God you can say oh I love them but if you're not if you're not you can say it with your mouth but if you're not saying it with your deeds and if it isn't being expressed and demonstrated through the fruit of your actions then you do not love your neighbor and therefore you do not love God hallelujah 
Glory to God. Folks, love is tougher than you think it is. I'm not talking about this greasy, gray, sloppy, agape. I'm not talking about this squishy kind of love. I'm not talking about what the hippies were talking about. I'm not talking about what the world needs now is love, sweet love. I'm talking about the love of God that casts out fear. The love of God that heals relationships. The love of God that puts my feet on the straight and narrow pathway. The love of God that delivers me from my sin. Don't get it mixed up. The sinners of the Bible who loved to be in the presence of Jesus, they didn't love to be in the presence of Jesus because they felt comfortable committing their sins in the presence of Jesus. They weren't partying with Jesus. The reason they felt comfortable being in his presence was because he gave them hope. He didn't condemn them. He gave them hope. It was the first time they ever believed they might be able to be free from their lifestyle that had brought them so much pain and so much heartache. I'm talking about the love of God. And, 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 and God said, you've got to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you, and if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love me. So we've got to go back to trying to figure out, do we love our neighbor? Listen to what John said in 1 John chapter 3. He said, listen, he said, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. If you don't love your brother and your sister in deed and in truth, you abide in death. This is serious stuff. There are a lot of people who can't figure out why they don't have joy in their life. And I'm telling you, it's because you have a cancer of hating your brother or your sister. Because you've got some grudge you will not release. You've got some bitterness you've allowed to fester. And it's eating away. You can't pray. You can't worship. You can't focus. You can't, you can't do anything. Because you, and if somebody were to say, do you love them? Of course I love them. I just can't stand them. It doesn't work like that. You can't love in word and tongue and not in deed and truth. You've got to genuinely love your neighbor. And you know what? Just because, just in the same sense that you can't flip a switch and start loving God, you can't flip a switch and start loving your brother. You can walk into this place all you want, put that plastic smile on, act like everything's good. Put your Sunday go to meet and clothes on. Make everybody think all is well. And God who knows our hearts is not fooled by what fools other people. And he knows that we're still struggling with hating somebody near us. And listen, don't feel condemned today. Every one of us fall into this category because we are all in a fallen body. And we need the love of God to cleanse us and to make us whole. Hallelujah. Do you know Jesus told us and explained to us how to love your neighbor. It's not a switch you flip. Here's how you do it. You love your neighbor as yourself. Uh-oh, uh-oh. 
We just found the problem. You hate your neighbor because you hate you. Yeah, that's why. You hate you. It's projection. You, you, you can't stand your brother and your sister because you can't stand yourself. That's why Cain killed Abel. It wasn't because Abel was so great. It was because Cain felt like he was not great. So he projected his feelings of himself toward Abel and he killed, he slew his brother Abel. The reason you hate your brother and your sister is because you hate what you're looking at in the mirror. You know yourself better than other people know you. And you hate yourself for your inconsistencies. And you hate yourself for your weakness. And you hate yourself for a variety of reasons. You hate yourself. And so you can't love your neighbor because you hate yourself. You have to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And since you don't love yourself, you don't love your neighbor. And because you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. And here it comes. How do you, how do you start loving God? By loving your neighbor. How do you start loving your neighbor? By loving yourself. And I'm not talking about selfishness. I'm talking about understanding who you are through the prism of the love of God. Hallelujah. Knowing that, yes, you are flawed, but he loves me. Listen, the Bible says in the book of Revelation that, that the Lord looked at the church at Ephesus and said, Listen, Ephesus, I know your works. I know that you've stood strong in the doctrine. I know that you've tried them who said they are apostles and they are not. I understand you've done a lot of great things, and I, and I applaud you for those things, but I have somewhat against you. And here's what I have against you. You left your first love. And that first love is found in 1 John 4, 19. We love him. That's the goal. But we don't get there until we know he loves us. So we love him because he first loved. What is the first love? His love for us is the first love. The love that Ephesus had left was the love that God had for them. They were strong in the doctrine. They were strong in the truth. They could quote scriptures. They could quote people under the table. They knew they had good works. They were full of good works, but they forgot how much God loved them, not for their good works, but just because God is good. Did you, did you, did you know that God doesn't love you because you're good? He loves you because he's good. Did you know God doesn't love you because you got it all together? He loves you because he's got it all together. Did you know God doesn't love you because you're great at a lot of things? He loves you because he's great at a lot of things. He just loves you. And it doesn't matter how much you do or don't do. You can't make him love you more and you can't make him love you less. He just simply loves you. And you've never had an example like that in your life. You were supposed to get it from this relationship and that didn't work out. You were supposed to get it from a father or a mother or a spouse or a child. Every single one of our relationships in life are supposed to demonstrate the love of God. And when we fail to demonstrate the love of God in our relationships, we deprive people of ever encountering his love. And so, so we don't get it from people. We don't get it from our parents. We don't get it from our siblings. We don't get it from our teachers. We don't, we don't get it from, from any kind of relationship we have in our world. Because every one of those relationships, human love 
breaks down somewhere along the way of trying to do life together. The only way you can experience the love of God is to go where John went, to the foot of the cross. You have to stand there again. You have to stand, hallelujah, where the blood was shed. You have to stand where the forgiveness was provided. You have to stand, hallelujah, in the shadow of the love of God. This, this is what will convert you. This is what will change you. This is why we sing songs about the love of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What can wash away my sin? You know the real answer to that question is, is this, nothing. What can make me whole again? Nothing. That's the real answer to that question. But because of the cross, because of the love of God, we've got a different song to sing. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You've got to stand under the foot of the cross again and again and again and again. You can always tell when you're beginning to drift from your first love. You'll start side-eyeing people. You'll start looking at people out of the corner of your eye. You'll start looking over your shoulder. You'll start looking across the sanctuary. You won't be as charitable. You won't be as compassionate. You won't be as kind. You need to get back to the foot of the cross. And you need to hear his words of forgiveness again. You need to hear his words. How did he handle offense? He said, wound me again, I'll forgive you again. Bruise me again, I'll forgive you again. You can't bruise me enough that I won't keep speaking the love of God. Put a spear in my side, blood and water will flow. Did you know that when that man put the spear in his side, that to me is the most offensive of them all. I mean, if he hasn't suffered already enough, he's got a crown of thorns on his head, stripes on his back, and you're going to put a spear in his side? And when that spear goes into his side, you know Jesus' only reaction? He didn't brace himself. He didn't wince. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't snarl. He didn't, he didn't react. All that happened was blood and water flowed. You want to know why? Because his flesh was already dead. You can always tell whether your flesh is crucified with Christ or not. Because when the pointed offense comes, if you have a fleshly reaction, you're not crucified with Christ. But if you'll let blood and water flow, let blood and water flow. Just let the blood and the water cleanse from all sin. And I'm going to tell you, the person holding the spear will throw the spear down and say, Lord, I've never met this kind of love. I've never encountered this kind of grace. I've never seen this kind of mercy. If you think you're going to live a Christian life without being offended and hurt and wounded by other people, you're in the wrong place. He didn't say take up your picnic basket and follow me. He said take up your cross and follow me. Don't be surprised when somebody nails you to that cross. And when they do, love them. When they do, forgive them. When they do, 
Love them the way I have loved you. Hallelujah. John, John just couldn't stop it. He just couldn't stop talking about it. God is love. He is love, and this is the love of God. And if you can't love your brother, then you don't love God. So love your brother. And he just keeps talking and talking about the love of God. He understood it. This, this is why when word came to John and to Peter that Jesus had risen from the dead, the Bible said they ran to the tomb. Now, do you know what's interesting? The Bible says that John outran Peter to the tomb. You know what's also interesting? That's found in the book of John. John wanted it forever settled in heaven. I mean, it's no big deal. But I can, I can run a little faster than Peter can run. I mean, he's a great preacher on Pentecost. Don't get me wrong. Great preacher. Excellent preacher. But when it comes to running, just want that forever settled in heaven. John's running. But you know, the truth is... He ran. And you know, we call him John, not just John the Revelator, we call him John the Beloved. You know why we call him John the Beloved? Because he told us that's who he is. He's the one that told us he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. You want to know why? Because he knew it. He knew it. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. I know that I know. The devil can't tell me otherwise. You can't tell me otherwise. I saw the blood being shed. I was there. I was there. I saw it. I heard it. I felt it. I witnessed it. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. And when he ran to that tomb, he ran like somebody who knew where they were going. He ran like somebody knew what was going to be waiting for them when they got there. He ran without the hesitation. Hallelujah. Without any trepidation. There was no, no reservation in his step. He ran with a reckless abandon. Now, Peter, Peter was different. Peter ran with a little hesitation in his step because he denied the Lord. And the last thing he knew, he had, he had seen Jesus and Jesus had told him you'll deny me three times and Peter did deny him three times he went out and wept bitterly so when Peter ran he ran with a little just kind of a pause of what am I going to find when I get there because I know I've disappointed him and I, I know I've hurt him and I, I know I did wrong and so he's running with hesitation in his step but not John not John John ran with he loves me Peter was like the little girl with the rose petals. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He'd run a little bit. He loves me. He, well, maybe he won't because I was, I was pretty bad. No, he loves me. He loves me. And then he'd stop and say, well, I don't know, but he might be really. No, 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 no. He's Jesus. He'll love me. He'll love me. He ran like the little girl. He loves me. He loves me not. But John, John didn't have any rose petals. Hallelujah. There was only one thing in his mind. He loves me. 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 I don't have time not to love you because he loves me. I can't hold what you said against you because he didn't hold against me what I said against him. I can't hold against you what you did to me because he didn't hold against me what I did to him. He loves me. Because of that, I now know how to, how to have a proper view of myself. And it enables me to love my neighbor, which enables me to love God with all of my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Hallelujah. This is the perfect love. 
that will cast out your fear. And you will have no fear, none, except for the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth it not, because it knew him not. Beloved, I love it that he calls us that. Beloved, he didn't just say he was the disciple Jesus loved. He said we were the disciples that Jesus loved. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Hallelujah. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. You know what you need? You need to know all over again, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You know, when people come up around the altar, we sometimes will go down and encourage them to pray, and we'll often tell them, just tell him, I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you, Lord. Go ahead and tell him. Tell him you love him. I love you, Lord. And you should. Don't get me wrong. But we probably most properly say it this way. You love me, Lord. You love me. You, you really do love me. You love me. I'm going to tell you, nothing will pull you out of your sin like that. You start really truly knowing that and believing that. And I'm going to tell you, you won't want to ever commit another sin for the rest of your life. You'll want to turn from every evil thing, every wicked thing, because you will have found what it is you've been looking for all of your life. Raw, perfect, unadulterated love. Lift your hands with me in this house. Could you lift your hands with me all across this building in Jesus' name? And just do that. Do that. Do that. Just, just tell him, Lord, you love me. You love me. You love me, Jesus. Go ahead and stand with me right now. Tell him, you love me, Jesus. You really do love me. You really do love me. You loved me when I was, when I was a hypocrite. You still loved me. You loved me. You loved me when I was broken. You still loved me. You loved me, Lord, when I fell. You still loved me. You loved me. You loved me. You loved me. You loved me when I was falling. You loved me when I was broken. You loved me when I was hating. You loved me. You loved me. You loved me. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Lift up your hands unto him. Lift up your voice unto him. I want somebody who needs to come to the foot of the cross again. I want you to come down to the front of this house. The Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, I got a lot to deal with. There's a lot of issues here. There's a ton of issues. Church of Corinth had so many issues, but this is what Paul said. He said, I know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. If I can take you back to the foot of the cross and let you see and feel and know again that he loves you with an everlasting love, It'll begin to deal with the issues. I wonder if there's somebody here today with issues. Could you come if you have issues? All the perfect people, y'all just stay where you are. But if you've got issues, I need you to come to the foot of the cross today. Everybody that's got it all put together and doesn't need any help and doesn't need Jesus, you just stay where you are. The whole need not a physician. That's what you think you are. Just, But if you need God and you need to hear his voice again and you need to see him forgive again and you need to hear him declare his love again, I want you to come and seek. Come on, come and seek the word and the power and the grace of Almighty God. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, let him baptize you again with fresh love. With fresh love. Hallelujah. We've got a, we've got a wide spectrum here today. We've got people. We've got people who are far from God and who know they're far from God. I want you to know Jesus loves you simply because he is good. And we've got people who have tried for years to do what the Bible has called them to do. And they want to be close to God. And they want to please God. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you simply because he's so good. <laughs> Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Nothing shall separate Nothing shall Deserve it till you give yourself away. Holy, overwhelming, never ending, perfect love of God. Glory, perfect love of
God wants to perform an instantaneous miracle in your spirit right now. God wants to perform an instantaneous miracle right now. Something you've been battling for years. Something you've been holding on to for years. We're going to release it to God right now in the name of Jesus. You know who you are. You know who you are. You need relief. You came to this house today needing relief. And I want you to know it's according to your faith. It shall be unto you. This very moment, God wants to break it. God wants to break that chain and lift that pain off of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Right now, release it to God. You say, how do I release it? By saying those very words. Lord, I release this to you. Go ahead and tell him. I don't know how to do it, Lord. I don't know how to do it. I just know I need it done. And I know that you love me. And I know that you want to deliver me. And you want to do it right now. I release it unto you in the name of Jesus. Come on, the love of God be upon you. The love of God be upon you. The love of God be upon you. That healing come to you now in Jesus' name. That hurt, that hurt be broken. That hurt be healed. That hurt be healed in the name of Jesus. That hurt be healed in the name.